Well, this morning, we're going to go ahead and continue uh, our series into the culture of living hope. This will be the fifth one, and, and as you recall, we've, we've gone through that we are a people who are saved by grace. We're a people who worship. We're a people who honor and respect one another. Today, we're going to talk about we're a people of faith. And <clears throat> what I mean by that is that, that we're a people that trust God in everything that we do. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is faith then? What exactly is faith? You know, in the world today, the faith that you have is based on the experiences that you go through. And every single one of us, even non-believers, have faith in something. Matter of fact, when you came in this morning, you sat down on that chair and you were convinced it was going to hold you up. And why was that? Because it's been your experience that every time you sit down on a chair, that it holds you up. Except for me. One time, we were at a... uh, we were at this big concert in Bisbee, this big thing in Bisbee, and, and uh, we're sitting on these little plastic chairs. So we're surrounded by thousands of people. I'm on the middle of the thing, and and uh, sitting down, and my wife decides to come sit on my lap. Now, I'm a big guy as it is. These chairs are already screaming when I sit down. And she sits on my lap. The back legs snap out from behind me. The chair falls over backwards. And the worst part is, is when everybody sees that, they're all laughing. But the worst part is, is when I put my hands down to try to get up, the chair just slides all across the ground, and I'm pushing, and I can't get up. Thousands of people are looking at me, staring. You know, I, I, they had to have been all laughing at me. And I finally get up. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how you trusted your chair when you sit down. I have a healthy non-trust of chairs. But, uh, but yeah, the, but in the world, our faith in stuff is, is based on our, our, our experience. But as Christians, our faith in God is based on so much more than that. It's based on our trust in infallible truth. It's based on our trust in a God that never changes. So today we're going to look at a few things. One, we're going to look at where does faith come from? And we're going to look at why can God be trusted? We're going to take, answer the question, is he, is he who he says he is? Is he going to do what he says he's going to do? We're going to talk about uh, what is the greatest enemy of faith. We're going to find out that unbelief is actually the greatest enemy of faith. We're going to look at uh, some models of faith some exam- and, so, and some examples as well. We're going to see it in action. We're going to look at what, what the power of faith comes from. So let's go ahead and, and, and get started. Our first scripture that we're going to look at today is going to deal with what is faith. In Hebrews 11, 1 through 2, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And in Hebrews 11, 6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You know, it's an interesting thing. In 1982, if you were to look up the definition of faith in the Webster's Dictionary, this is what it says. It says it's the firm belief of God's testimony in the truth of the gospel, which influences the will and leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. I think they had it right in 1982. You want to know what the definition of faith is in Webster's Dictionary today? It says, belief in God or in the doctrines or teachings of religion. You know, what's interesting is that faith has changed its definition in the eyes of the world, but for the believer, it's still the same as it was. In 1982, they had it right. That was more closely to what a Christian's definition of faith is. 
And we can see that in the Scriptures as well. It says, now faith is the assurance. The, another definition that you could use for assurance is the substance or the subsistence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the very foundation of what our hope stands on. And without faith, biblical hope is meaningless. It says faith is the substance or assurance or subsistence of things hoped for. That means that those things that we hope for are made a reality by our faith. Faith is the first step. And then it says it's the conviction of things not seen. You know, conviction is that, is that belief that something is there even though you can't see it. It's the reality of something. When you're convicted that something is there, you're convinced. And it says it's the, it's the conviction of things not seen. And then it says, for by it the people of old received their condemnation. Condemnation, sorry. <laughs> their commendation. <laughs> you know, we saw that, that Abraham was justified by faith, not by what he did, not the things that he's done. And if you read in the book, of, the book of Hebrews, there's the faith chapters that deal with, it talks about all these people of faith that received their commendation, that they, were, that they were honored by God because of their faith, not because of their accomplishments, but because they trusted Him. And many people have told me that, man, why can you have such blind faith? Anybody ever told you that your belief in God is a blind faith? I've heard that before. And people, you know, they tell me blind faith is crazy. You know what? I agree with them. Blind faith is absolutely stupid. You should not have blind faith in anything. Now, there's a difference. Though. Belief, is, belief in God is not blind faith. There's so much evidence for, for God and what he's done. And not only that, I can just look at my experiences in my life and see his work. That's not blind faith. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. He's never let me down. Blind faith is, is going out on the street and handing your paycheck to somebody you've never met before and asking them to go cash it and put it in your bank account. That's blind faith. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know them. You don't know nothing. But you know what? I know God. I know who He is. I know He's faithful. So when I put my trust in Him, that's not blind faith. Matter of fact, that's the most sound faith that you can have in this entire world. Because He's the only one that won't let you down. Even people that you know and trust can and will let you down. But God never will. And like I said, everybody has faith in something whether you want to believe it or not. If you don't trust in God, I guarantee you that you trust in something else. Maybe you trust in your spouse. That they're going to take care of you and they're going to make everything, take, you know, make sure that all your needs are met. Maybe you trust in your job. You, you think that as long as you can keep your job, then everything's going to be okay. The paychecks are rolling in. Maybe you just place your trust in yourself. You figure you got it all figured out. That's where I was at one point. I, what do I need God for? I could take care of everything on my own. And then finally God's like, all right, give it a shot. And it didn't work out so well for me. My, my life pretty much fell apart. And when I put my faith back in Him, it was restored and rebuilt. Turns out I'm not so good at it on my own. There are people that have faith in money too. I mean, we know that a few years ago we had the, the economic crash and we went into a depression. How many people had their faith placed and their, their 401k or their stocks and bonds. And it just crumbled around them. But the truth is, faith in God will never let you down. He's always there for you, even through all those situations. You know, there were people that believed in God and trusted Him, and the economy still crashed. But you know what? They made it through. They came out the other side. God was with them the whole way because He is trustworthy. 
<clears throat> Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. You know, that's the only way that we can please God is by trusting Him. You know, by living your life perfectly, that's not making God happy. But it's your trust in Him. You can go to church every Sunday your whole life and even go on Wednesdays, hit every Bible study and give like you've never given before, but that's not what's pleasing to God. It's your trust in Him that's pleasing to God. And that's why we do all those things. That's why we honor Him with our giving is because we trust and believe who He is and that He's going to do what He says He's going to do and it's a natural response for what He's already done for us. We go to church because we want to celebrate Him and worship Him and honor Him. We read our Bible because we want to get closer to Him, not because we're trying to impress Him, but because we trust Him and we love Him and we believe in Him. In Hebrews 10, 5-6, it says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And what He's saying here is that you know, in the, in the Old Testament, the Jews, they would offer sacrifices for their sins. They were trying to, to make up for their failings in, in, in something else. But he's saying, you know what, that stuff doesn't matter. God didn't care about those things. He cares that you just trust him and believe him. If you remember David, right after, <clears throat> right after he committed adultery and had the lady's husband killed, he, he called out to God in one of the Psalms and he said, offering is, and, and sacrificing, you have no desire. But he begins to ask God to forgive him anyway, to put his faith in his belief in God that God would restore him. That's what God's looking for from us. And that's what's pleasing to him. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are the polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our inequities like the wind take us away. Another translation says that our works are, in that same scripture, as our, our righteous deeds or our good works are, are like a, a filthy rag. They're, they're, our good works without faith are nothing to God, but it's actually our belief and trust in Him that counts. And our religious ceremony is not going to cut it either. Like I said, all the stuff that we do as a religious duty is not going to do it. Even the stuff that are good and well to do, that are the right things to do, if you do them out of a sense of duty instead of out of a sense of love and trust, you've missed the boat. And it goes on to say that whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. You know, that's who we are as a church. Our culture as a church is we are a people that believes God is who He says He is and that He'll do what He says He's going to do. Amen? James 1.17, I want to look at, is God faithful? Is He someone that we can put our trust in? And in James 1.17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that He should lie, or a son of man that He should change His mind. Has He said and will, not, will He not do it? Or has He spoken And will he not fulfill it? You know, God's not like us. When God promises something, it's never a matter of if, it's always a matter of when. We can put our trust in what God has to say. And the scripture says that every good and every perfect gift is from him, 
coming down from our Father, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Other translations say there's no shifting shadows. And what it's trying to say is, that is, is there's, there's no deception in God. There's nothing that's going to change. If he says it, it's, it's as good as done. And it's not going to change. Numbers 20-19 says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He's not like us with that, with that even possibility. You know, some people ask, you know, God can do anything. That's not true, actually. There's some things that God can't do, and one of them is he can't lie. And he, when he says something, we can take it for what it is, and we can believe it and put our trust in him. And we see his work in our lives. Anybody that's been a Christian for a while can see the hand of God in their lives. And we see the evidence of his faithfulness. Now, that's not why we put our trust in him. We put our trust in him because he is faithful and trustworthy. But as a result of that, we can see that evidence in our lives if we'll just place our trust in him. There's a story of a a preacher's little son, and he was repeatedly told to go wash his hands before lunch. And the youngster demanded to know why he had to wash his hands before every meal. And his mother said, son, there are germs on your hands. And he looked at his hands carefully and says, I don't see any. And he says, you can't see them, but they're there. And his dad said firmly, now go wash your hands. And as the little boy stomped away, he was shaking his head and was mumbling, germs in Jesus, germs in Jesus. That's all they talk about in this house, and I've never seen either one. But you know, the truth is, we've seen Jesus in our lives. And we've seen the evidence of his work. Amen. So the question that I'd ask you is, how do, how do you determine if something is trustworthy? How do you determine if something is worth placing your faith in? I know as we go through our lives and we look at people who are willing to trust, the questions we ask is, are they reliable? Is this thing we're trusting in reliable? Is this person that we're trusting in reliable? And we all know if we know somebody not to be reliable, then we don't trust them. But if they are reliable, or they've never given us any reason not to, chances are we'll, we'll trust them to do what they say they're going to do. Another thing we look at is, is what we're putting our faith in going to stand the test of time. You know, is this something that, that over the years, no matter what we've asked somebody to do, have they, have they always come through? And when we look at that, that's how we determine if somebody is trustworthy. One of the next probably things we ask ourselves is, do they love us? You know, if somebody loves you and has your best interest at heart, it's a whole lot easier to trust them. You know, there are two people that can stand in front of you, someone you've never met, and maybe your husband or your your wife or maybe your, your, your father, and they both tell you they're going to do the same thing for you. Who are you apt to trust more? The one that you know loves you the one that's given evidence over time that they can be trusted. And it's for all these reasons that we can put our trust in God because he loves us so much so that he gave up his only son that we could be made brand new. The scripture says that no greater love is that than to lay down your life for somebody. And Jesus laid down his life for us. And is he reliable? And any of those that have been following, any of us been following God for a long time knows that He's reliable. And His word, which is truth, says that He's reliable. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change His mind. He doesn't shift. He doesn't change. And will He stand the test of time? Scripture says He doesn't change. He's always going to be trustworthy. 
David in his Psalms said that uh, I was young, but now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Because God is faithful. So then the next question comes, all right, if all those things are well and good, then where do we get faith? And Romans 10.17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5, it says, And my speech and my message were not in the plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. I want you to know right now that your faith actually comes from God. In Romans 12, 3, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God has given every single one of us a portion of faith. And our choices is to where to place it, where to put it. Are you going to put it in God or are you going to put it in the things of this world? Dwight Moody, a preacher and evangelist in the 1800s, once said, if all the time I have spent praying for faith was put together, it would be months. I thought that someday faith was going to come down and strike me like lightning, but faith did not come. Then one day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith, but now I now open my Bible and begin to read God's word, and faith has been growing ever since. If you want your faith to increase, to get stronger, begin to spend time in the Word of God. It says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. It's the very reason that when I, when I preach, you're going to see 10 to 20 scriptures up there in every message that I preach easily because what I have to say is not going to make a change in you, but the Word of God, the, what we're preaching from, that's what's going to make a difference. If you want your faith to grow, you have to look at what the Word of God has to say. And it grows when we spend time in the Word. And I want you to know that Sunday is not enough. Now, it's good that you come on Sunday and you hear the Word preached, and that will help increase your faith. But if you don't spend time in your own personal time as well, reading your Bible, your faith will never grow like God wants it to grow. You'll never learn who you are in Christ if you never open your Bible and read what it says. When it says that you are loved, it says that you are forgiven, it says that you are free, it says that you've been redeemed. But you would never know that if you don't spend time reading what God has to say to you. And then he goes on to say, which we read in 1 Corinthians here, is that, that our faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Faith, faith that rests on the wisdom of men is, is no faith at all, but it's just a brittle creation that will fail us as man fails us. And we've seen that time and time again when we put our trust in men and men only, men will fail you. You know what? There's probably not a, a man or woman that you know that hasn't failed you at some point. Your spouse has failed you at some point. Your kids, your parents. And to be truth is, even as your pastor, there'll be times that I may fail you. I'll never intentionally do it. And I don't want to do it. But the truth is, it may happen. But when you place your trust in God, He will never fail you. He will never let you down. Faith in God is not brittle like faith in man. And something else while we're, while we're here, just a little side note. You know, one of the, the greatest things that you can do when ministering to other people and sharing the gospel with them is give them your testimony. 
You can tell them that what God has done in your life, that's a great, powerful way to open the door to be able to speak to somebody. But the truth is, if you, if you want them to get them saved, you're going to have to minister the word to them at some point because your testimony is not going to produce faith in their life. Your testimony is not going to make it that they will trust God. It may very well open the, the door so that you can speak into the life, but they need to hear what God says about them, to hear that, that Jesus died for them and gave their life for them, that, 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 that they are with sin, but in God the sin is removed from them as far as the east is to the west. And that will allow them to increase their faith and finally place it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Next we want to look at what are the, some of the, the, the enemy of faith. And in Matthew 13, 55 through 58, it says, is not, this car- is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And in Matthew fourteen twenty-eight through 31 it says, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? So now we have two situations here that talk about why faith couldn't be expressed. In the first one, it talks about Jesus going to his hometown. He went to to Bethlehem and he began to minister to them, but they didn't believe that he was who he says he was. Like, wait a minute, you grew up here. We know who you are. You're not anything special. Aren't your brothers and your, your sisters still here? Isn't your mom and, and dad still here? We know you. You're not, not who you say you are. And because of that, because they didn't believe who he said he was, it says that he did not do many mighty works there because of why? Their unbelief. And the same thing happened to Peter. Now, how many of you would like to have an experience like Peter had in his life right then? Peter says, hey, if that's you, Jesus, call me to come out on the boat. And Jesus says, come. So he steps out on the water. And can you believe it? He walks across the water. The only man that ever lived except for Jesus that walked on water. And he gets out there and he's doing good. He's walking towards Jesus and everything's fine. He's believing that Jesus is who he says he was. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. He says, you know what? I believe you are who you say you are. Tell me to come and I can come. But then he gets there and he takes a moment. He saw the wind. He saw the waves. He gets a little bit scared and he begins to sink. And what does Jesus say that his problem was? Did Jesus say, oh, don't worry, the, the wind was kicking up pretty hard, it's understandable that you sunk. The waves were getting pretty, pretty high, so that just happens when the waves are high. Is that what Jesus said? No, he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, that happens to us in our lives as well. We're, we're trusting God and things are going great, but then the, the wind get, begins to pick up a little bit. The waves begin to rise, and we begin to stop trusting God. And things start crashing down around us. You know, it's, it's not the, the, the wind and the waves that will cause you to fail, but it's the, 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 the losing your trust in God. If you will keep your faith firmly planted on Jesus Christ, then you will make it through any wind and any wave that will ever come through your, through your life. Now, it doesn't mean that the wind and the waves aren't going to come, but you will get through it. Amen? 
Have you ever wondered to yourself, man, I wish I lived back in the time of Jesus. You know, it would be so much easier for me to have faith like they did. If I, if I just saw the miracles that Jesus did, man, I, you would, you, pastor, you wouldn't believe what kind of faith that I would have because I would have saw it. Anybody ever wondered, thinking it would be easier to live back then? You know, I, I quickly, I, I've thought stuff like that. I mean, man, if I lived back then, it would just be so much easier. But the truth is, it wasn't any easier for them than it was for us now either. I mean, this is, this is Peter. He was walking with Jesus. He saw Jesus do amazing things, and even he doubted, and he began to sink. Matter of fact, when, when, when uh, Christ was taken captive, Peter began to deny Jesus. He denied him three times. He had seen, he'd walked alongside Jesus and seen him do all those things, yet still for a moment he doubted. You know what the truth is? It's not any easier for them than it is for us. Matter of fact, we have the benefit that they don't. We have the Word of God. We have the New Testament. They didn't have that back then. We, we can see without a doubt who God says He is in Jesus. We can see the things that were said about us. We actually have it, we have it easier because we've got everything just laid out for us. Amen? Next, I want to talk about the power of faith in our lives. In Matthew 17, 20, it says, He said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have, the faith, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And in Matthew 21, 21, it says, And Jesus answered them, Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has, has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. I want you to know that a little faith goes a long way. These are pretty amazing statements that Jesus is making here. He says that if you have faith and do not doubt, not only will you be able to do what I did to this fig tree, but you'll be able to say to a mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. It'll happen. <clears throat> he says that if you have the faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move, and it'll move, and nothing will be impossible for you. With faith, we can move mountains. And a little faith goes a long, long way. This year where it says... <clears throat> If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, it should say, or, or the, the, the idea is, is as a grain of mustard seed. It's not so much talking about the size, but all of the properties of a grain of mustard seed. And something that I want to tell you about a mustard seed is it starts out like that. But by the time it's done in its life cycle, it looks like this. What is that, a 10-foot tall plant? So it starts out the size of a, of a pinhead almost, and turns into that. So when it's saying that if you have faith as a mustard seed or like a mustard seed, it's not necessarily saying that if you have a minuscule amount of faith, but if you, will, if you will cultivate your faith, if you will tend your faith, it may start here, but faith like a mustard seed will eventually end up there. If you will just begin to read your word and trust God, your faith will increase and nothing will be impossible for you. That Nothing would be able to stand in your way. And the interesting thing about this is that it says, it doesn't say that if you had faith like a mustard seed or as a mustard seed, you will ask God to move this mountain into the sea. It doesn't say that you will ask God, but it says that you will say it. You'll begin to speak 
to the mountains in your life. You know, that's one of the things about, about faith is that we need to take a moment and stop telling our God about our problems, but tell our problems about our God. And take a moment instead of saying, God, would you please deal with this? God, would you please deal with that? But actually speak to those things yourself and stand against them. Because God has given you the authority and the power in faith to cast mountains into the sea. Amen? In Galatians 2.20 it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, he says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. You know, faith is incredibly powerful in our lives. And it's because of faith that we don't live as who we used to be, but we live as Christ has made us brand new. And this one it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. How have we been crucified with Christ? I don't think any of us recall crawling up on that mountain with Jesus. So how is it possible that we've been crucified with him? It's by faith. And by faith, we went to the cross with him. And by faith, we have his new risen life inside of us. By faith, we are made brand new. Our old life has passed away, but we are justified. We are holy. We are made perfect. We are pure and we are redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's how we walk our life. It's not by sight. You know, sometimes we can take a look. If we take a step back and we look at ourselves, you know, like, man, I don't look redeemed. I don't look pure. I don't look brand new. That's why we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. You know, our our emotions, our mind, the world might tell us that we're not any of those things, but Jesus said that you are. And I want you to know that if Jesus said that you are, His Word trumps the Word of everything else, even your own heart. There's a scripture that says that that the, the Spirit of God testifies in what our heart condemns us. Even though our heart can condemn us, the Spirit of God tells us otherwise. Amen? Was, uh, when I was in Africa, and I was just telling this story the other day, they were asking me, what did you see over there when you went and, and I, I ministered in Africa for a couple weeks with Pastor Mike, and, and one of the healings that I saw was this man who was at some point was out in the field and he was chopping wood with an axe, and I'm not sure how he did it, but somehow he put the foot, or put the axe into his foot, and it cut his foot all the way to the bone. They brought it to him, he had it, he had it wrapped up in a handkerchief, and uh, and he opened it up, and they asked me to lay hands on it and pray, and, and I did. But you could see the bone uh, through the cut, the bone of his foot, because the cut was so deep. So I prayed for him, and then I said to him, I said, you know what? You're going to wake up, you're going to go home tonight, and, and you're going to look at your foot, and it may not look any different. I said, but don't believe what your foot has to say to you, because God says that by his stripes you are made whole. And the next day he came in, and we looked at his foot, and you could still tell there was a cut there, but it had completely knitted in. I couldn't see the bone anymore. So it had been like that for like a week where you could see the bone. We laid hands on him, and he trusted God. And by the next morning, it had already knitted in. And you could, like I said, you could still see there was a cut, but I couldn't see any bone. It had already closed in that much. Because even though his, his, his body was saying, no, this is still messed up, he trusted in God, and it began to, to close in and knit up around him. There's a difference between facts and truth. 
for this guy, the fact was that his foot had been cut, but the truth was the word of God says that by his stripes we are healed. There may be fact. You may wake up one morning and, and the fact is you don't feel well that you're sick, but the truth is the same for that man, that by his stripes you are healed. You are whole. The fact might be I have lost my job, but the truth is, is that God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The fact is, is that I might feel alone, I might feel abandoned, but the truth is, is that God will never leave you nor forsake you. The fact is that I might feel unclean, I might not feel worthy, but the truth is that you are redeemed in Jesus Christ. There's a difference between facts and truth. Facts can change. One day you feel sick, one day you feel better, but the truth, it never changes. It's infallible, unchanging, and is always true regardless of your circumstances. Amen? And 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. How many of you want to be overcomers? Faith is what does that for us in our life. It says that the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. And everyone who is born of God, any of you that have been born again, if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, then you are victorious and you are an overcomer. And we overcome all the things that come against us in this world by faith. By faith we are healed. By faith we are victorious. By faith we are more than conquerors. And by faith we are loved. Faith that we are forgiven. Faith that we are saved. Faith in all of these things help us overcome whatever comes against us. Amen? And then I said I want to talk, I'd look at maybe some models of faith. And this is the greatest example of how our faith should be expressed in the New Testament, I believe. And in Luke 18, 17, it says, Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. We need to to have faith in God the same way that a child has faith in their parents. And what this is, 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 is is an unadulterated, pure faith. There's no doubt that ever creeps up in a child's mind when he looks to their parents. You know, an example of this would be the, you guys have seen, you've probably seen plenty of YouTube videos of it now, where the, the dad's just launching their kids up in the air, where they got the kid up on the wall, and they're saying, jump! And the kid's sitting on a six-foot wall with no concern, no fear, just leaps off into their father's arms. Because their faith is pure. There's, there's no doubt in that child's mind that that dad is going to drop, to drop them, that they're going to get hurt. That's the kind of faith that we have or that we should have. I saw this demonstrated with my son when I was, uh, I don't even know if you remember this son, but when uh, he was probably, I don't know, three or four years old, he has this toy that he broke. And he brings it up to me, and he says, Dad, can you fix this? And I looked at it, and he had broken it good. It It was broken in such a way, there's no way that I could fix it. And I said, sorry, son, there's nothing I can do to fix this. You broke it. I can't do anything about it. And he looked at me with not, without any doubt in his eyes with a straight face and said, no, Dad, you can fix it. He had no doubt that I could fix it. And that's the kind of faith that we need to have in our Heavenly Father. Children rely on their parents as well. And without their parents, they can do nothing. Children rely on their parents to to, to feed them, to clothe them, to shelter them, to protect them. 
And that's the same attitude that we should have in our Heavenly Father, to rely on Him exclusively for everything in our life. Amen? So here's a couple of examples of that faith in action for us. In Matthew 15, 25-28, it says, But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is a woman with incredible faith. First off, when Jesus came... He came to minister to the Jews. This is a, a Gentile woman that comes up to him and she's heard about what he's done and she saw the things that he's done and he's like, wait a minute. He said, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He's, he's basically saying that I've come here for the Jews. I can't give it to, to, for God's people. And at this point, the, the Gentiles were not included in that. That wasn't until, until later that uh, the, the, the Gentiles were included in the salvation. And she says, can you help me? And he says, it's not right for me to give the blessing that's supposed to be for them to you. And her faith is incredible. She says, that may be true, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She knew what she knew who he was. She knew there was something about her that placed her trust in him wholeheartedly, and even, even against what he said to her. And she trusted that he was more. And because of that, because she had an understanding of who he was and that he was faithful and that he was trustworthy, that her child gets healed because she was relentless. She didn't give up. Even when everything, even when Jesus said, hey, this isn't for you, she says, you know what? I'm going to keep believing that it is. In Luke 7, 6 through 9, it says, And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have come under my roof. Have you come under my roof? Therefore I do not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come. And he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. This is another man. This is actually another Gentile man. You know, it's amazing that if you look in the, uh, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when Jesus begins to marvel at people's faith, it's, it's always a Gentile. And he says, you know what, I haven't seen faith like, not even in Israel, not even any, any of my people, the Jews, have, have had faith like this. And he understood something here. He understood that as an officer in the Roman army, when I speak, it's expected to be obeyed. He says, I don't have to go and tell each soldier individually. I can give the order and it's passed down. And when I speak, soldiers are going to perform their duty. And I have no doubt about that. There's no question in my mind. Matter of fact, the penalty for not following an order was usually death in the Roman army. So there was quite a bit of reason to follow your orders. And he says, you know what? I'm a man under authority, and when I speak, they do it. So he said, Jesus, I get that you have authority. Just say it, and it'll be done. You don't have to come here. You don't have to see my servant. I know that all you have to do is speak, and what you say is going to happen. And Jesus said, that's amazing faith. And that's the kind of faith that we need to have. When we look at the scriptures and it says that, that by his stripes we're healed, that we believe the scriptures is truth and it's going to happen. 
when it says that, that, uh, <clears throat> that we are victorious, that we are more than conquerors, that we believe that's the truth. When it says that the, the, the windows of heaven, heaven will be open for us, we believe that's the truth. When he says that, it would be, that by our standard of measure, it will be measured to us, that we believe in that, we trust the word of God, no matter what is telling us otherwise, because God has said it, it is true. And the next big part about faith is patience. In Hebrews 6, 11 through 12, it says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You know, it's not just by faith alone, but by faith and patience. We have to be willing to continue to trust God even when it seems like nothing is happening. You know, if you take a seed to a plant and you put it in the ground and you just wait one day and you look and you're like, wait a minute, nothing's come out of the ground. How, you know, we expect it to behave like Jack and the beanstalk where he threw the beans in the ground and came out the next day and there was a, a beanstalk to the sky. If we operate in that kind of attitude, then many times we will lose the blessing that God has for us in our life because we, we go out and we plant the seed and we're like, I'm going to trust God. And then we go out the next day and nothing's changed. So we dig up the seed to see what happens. And ultimately, we, we kill the plant that we had just planted. And the same thing goes for us in the, in the kingdom of heaven. When we trust God, so many Christians miss the blessing that God has for them because they stop believing. They, they, they don't have the patience to endure to the end. In James 1.3, it says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And we need to run with endurance in our lives, to continue to trust Him, and to not dig that seed up. There's so many people that go, yeah, I trusted God and nothing happened. Well, how long did you trust Him? Well, I trusted Him for like an hour and, and, and nothing happened. But the truth is that we need to, to operate in, in patience and, in, and endure and continue to trust God. And God will be faithful. Like I said earlier, it's not a matter of if with God, it's a matter of when. Amen? And we see that in the scriptures as well. Abraham believed 25 years for Isaac, the son of promise. And he continued to believe. I mean, after 25 years, I think most of us would have given up. But he continued to trust God, and God was faithful. And the, the most amazing story of faith to me is Noah. God said, you know what? Build a boat. I'm going to make it rain. And he did that for 120 years. He preached the gospel and he built that boat for 120 years. And the rain came. But can you imagine asking God for something and God promising something and having to endure with patience for 120 years? I mean, I don't think there's a person in this room that could go 25 years, let alone 120, forgiving the fact that we don't live that long. But just the idea of, of trusting God for that long is incredible. But that's the kind of faith that I want to develop in this church. That's the culture of who we are as faith. It's going to trust God no matter what and endure regardless of the circumstances for as long as it takes. Amen? And we'll go ahead and end here this morning.
In Ephesians 6, 13 through 17, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You know, faith is such an important part of the armor of God in our lives. And it says, with that shield of faith, we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. If you will put your trust in God, you will get through anything the enemy tries to throw at you. The picture being painted here is of of a Roman shield. And the Roman shoulder shield shield of that day was big enough to cover them from head to shoulders. We're not talking a little buckler on your wrist where you got to... But the shield of faith, this picture that's being painted is of a, a massive tower shield that we can stand behind and be protected from the evil one if we will trust in God. Amen? And then finally, Paul says to Timothy here, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know what? We need to stand firm and keep the faith. Like Paul here, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And that should be the desire of every single one of our hearts as well. And the great news here is he says that that henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's every one of us in this room. That if we will stand firm, and we will run this race, we will endure to the end, that our faith would not be shaken by a little bit of time, but we would just remain steadfast, then we have a reward saved up for us. And that's who we want to be as a church. The, the point of these messages is to cultivate who we are as a church. But as a church, this is the kind of faith that we have, a faith that will trust God no matter what. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.